Hi, I'm Michael Shermer, and I took a left at the valley, and that was the best turn I ever made. (laughs) (laughs) I know we shouldn't have to scream that we're atheists. You know, we don't have non-astrologers and all that. But with religious people taking over the world, I mean, we can either speak up or be pushed into a corner. I'm proud to be an atheist, a skeptic, a non-believer, an infidel, a heathen. I call it how I see it. I say it's ignorance and you just call it faith and unsubstantiated claims. That's something to be ashamed. I'm an atheist. 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 I'm an atheist. 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 From aisle 5 of your grocery stores where you find your rice and pasta, this is Left of the Valley. My name is Kevin and I am your host. Joining me as usual is the mac and cheese who... Hey, wait, 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 hold on! Get on the ground. Where is it? What are you talking about, officer? I have no idea what you're talking about. We're trying to do a podcast here. Sorry about that. Seems the Pokemon is next door. Let's go. Oh, I swear that Pokemon craze is going to kill us all. Like I said, <laughs> welcome back to Left of the Valley. My name is Kevin, I am your host. This is a show about positive atheism, secular humanism, and uh, skeptical thinking. And today we have a bit of a treat for you guys. We are going to be talking about the GMO debate. I know it's a big subject for a lot of you guys. And we have a friend, Brian Gitschlov. They'll be online with us in a moment. And yours truly is going to play devil's advocate here for half a sec. And I'm going to be doing the anti-GMO argument versus Brian, who's going to do the pro-GMO argument. So, hey, how about we just dive into that right away? Huh? Sounds like a good idea? Good idea. Let's do it. All right, our next guest. Brian, are you with us? Uh, yeah, I'm right here. Awesome. Let's, bring him, let's welcome him. Ah, if I can actually get the freaking applause to go. There we go. Thank you, Brian, for joining us. And that's our live audience. <laughs> that's our very live audience. <laughs> Welcome, Brian. We're really glad you're here to join us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Now, Brian, for uh, you, it's your first time here on the show. Uh, would you be so kind to give us a Reader's Digest version of who you are? And who's my... i got to figure out who my opponent is today on the whole GMO debate. <laughs> right, yeah, no problem. Uh, let's see. Well, I uh, was born and raised in a uh, pretty conservative uh, Christian family, and uh, I have a great relationship with my parents, um, and uh, it's just, over time, I've become gradually uh, leaning more and more to the left, and, uh, you know, I I, uh, served some time in the military. After that, I went to uh, college at a a Christian university. Most men lean to the left, I hear. (laughs) I'm sorry? I hear most men lean to the left. (laughs) Um... (laughs) Uh, uh, yeah, you, sorry. See, uh, yeah, I just you threw you off, I, right, just threw you right off, right off the start. That's a point for me to begin with, all right? <laughs> uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> That's Kevin for you. Yeah. Keep going. So, um, oh, yeah, so anyway, I went to a Christian university and, um, started off double majoring in, uh, biblical studies and biology, and, uh, you know, it was around probably my sophomore year of college, I took a genetics class, and, uh, you know, that's around the time that I transitioned over from young earth creationism to uh, accepting evolution. And uh, since then, I, you know, I haven't given up my, my study of, of um, uh, religion and, and uh, science and, you know, both. I'm now in grad school doing a PhD in molecular biology. And uh, I am, uh, you know, 
increasing my doubts about religion, I, I you know, started applying the word atheist to myself about a year ago. Well, thank you so much for coming, and congratulations, I guess. Uh, what state are you in? Uh, right now, I'm in uh, Nashville, Tennessee. That's where you were raised? Uh, no, this is where I'm going to grad school. No, I was just wondering because... Uh, Must be tough to be an atheist in Nashville. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. So I wasn't sure if you were raised in a very young earth creationist, kind of like a southern state or what? Uh, no, I mean, my parents, my, my dad was in the military. So, I mean, I was raised, you know, moving around from place to place. Well, you're in a beautiful spot now. A lot of people, when they think about Nashville, just think about country music. But the scenery around Nashville is just spectacularly gorgeous. So pretty, especially this time of year. Hot, but beautiful. Mm. Yeah, Nan- yeah, Nancy's originally from Texas. So we don't oh. hold that against her. But yeah, <laughs> she, likes, she likes her America. So what was it that really kind of, you know, changed your mind? Was it studying the Bible that kind of led you more towards atheism? Uh, actually, not, not particularly. I mean, you know, everyone, I think, has some passages, even, you know, if they retain their Christian beliefs throughout their entire life. You know, everyone has passages in the Bible that they, you know, uh, struggle with, you know, they try to reconcile in some way, you know, oh, this is, you know, we, we take it out of context, or, you know, this or that. Uh, really, it's more exploring philosophy and, um, you know, listening and, and giving serious consideration to the uh, the counter arguments from you know prominent atheists to the reasons that I had held for believing, and I found those to be more convincing than the reasons themselves. I found the counter arguments to be more convincing than the reasons. I, you know, I, did, I can give you yeah. some specific examples if you want, but I you know I think that kind of makes the point. Yeah, of course. No, just I find it very rare that I encounter somebody who goes from you know young Earth creationist to actual atheist, right? Like a lot of them will go from young Earth creationist to maybe like a deistic point of view. I I was never religious. The the most I ever was was you know kind of a deist pantheist and then became an atheist. So I, I don't see that too often. So that's why I had to ask. Oh, don't get me wrong. I I th- this was you know. You did the transition. <laughs> it was a long transition. It was it was in my my like I said earlier, my sophomore year of college. Um, that would have been a 2011 when uh, when I was taking genetics. Uh, that's around the time that I started to uh, you know open up to the idea of you know common ancestry of all life, and uh, I really remained a you could say a. Christian who accepts evolution, you know, theistic evolutionist is a term that's often used yeah. for uh, for a few more years. And um, one of the things that actually kind of uh, really thrust me towards, you know, non-belief was the uh, Matt Dillahunty versus Cy 10 Bruggenkate debate. If, I don't know if you guys caught that, but... Oh, yeah. Uh, I, did, I did not. No. Oh, you it, did? No, not well, that specific one. I've seen be, a lot of his stuff, though. You'll be banging your head against the wall. Okay, yeah, it, it, it wasn't sufficient, of course, to bring me out of out of the faith, but it it, it planted a seed that um, you know that I've continued to cultivate. Well, I talk with a lot of people. Like um, we have a friend who's going to be on the show at some point. Uh, his name is Cy Gart. He's a a PhD biologist. He writes for oh. BioLogos. Yeah, I'm familiar with who he is. Oh, okay, yeah. So I talked to him, and and a lot of people from the uh, Celebrating Creation by Natural Selection Facebook group. Are you familiar with that? Uh, yes, yes, I am. Yeah, and we had uh, 
Professor Jeffrey Greenberg was actually on the show uh, before because we were talking about geology and stuff like that. And I guess what I was going to ask you was, I see a lot of, you know, young earth creationists, that sort of thing. They'll still remain Christian or they become deists who still believe in theistic evolution. And I've had that debate quite a bit, but I've never been able to convince them that, you know, it's it's just evolution. There is no guiding hand. I was just wondering what changed your mind about the theistic evolution aspect. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I still completely respect, you know, people's right to, to continue believing in God. Um, you know, I have no problem at all with, with uh, theistic evolutionists. Uh, I, I don't even really like using the term. It's, you know, people who believe in God and accept evolution. Um, you, you know, you don't, from my perspective, you don't necessarily have to believe that there was a supernatural guiding force. If you, yeah, that's true. Believe, if you believe that the natural mechanisms, you know, the, the chemistry and the physics themselves are, uh, are, you know, the laws of nature that were, were implemented by the hand of God at the beginning of time, then you no longer have to believe in a supernatural constant intervention to still reconcile evolution with God. Yeah, that's true. I guess there's technically, I guess two type, types of theistic evolution, one where, you know, God set it up in advance, and it kind of... Oh, there's of, a whole spectrum. Yeah, Sorry, I don't mean to cut you off. There's a whole spectrum. Yeah, well, I guess the ones that I've kind of seen, and then I was talking to uh, Seigart fairly recently, and he said, you know, just over 50,000 years ago, God kind of swooped in and breathed a soul into Homo sapiens, and I was just, like, dumbfounded. I was like, okay. <laughs> he no. could have just set it up ahead of time. No, but. no, gentlemen, I, I don't mean to interfere here. I don't mean to interfere this uh, bromance, uh, intellectual <laughs> bromance you guys are having. Yeah. But we do have a show we're supposed to be yeah, putting sorry, on here. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, Brian from Nashville, welcome to the show. <laughs> uh, thank you. I'd like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to point out a couple times, if you bring it up again, I'm not actually from Nashville, just you know, for our listeners. No, I was um. just going to use that because <laughs> I have a wonderful segue. Speaking of Nashville, this is another brilliant moment brought to you by religion. Ah, another brilliant moment. I've got this nice, interesting story, and I want to hear your thoughts on it. And Brian, feel free to jump in as well. Okay. Speaking of uh, country music, you know when yep. Carrie Underwood released "Jesus Take the Wheel," she actually didn't mean that to be taken literally. But we've heard the dangers of texting and driving, which takes thousands of lives each year because people can't wait to LOL their friend. But rarely do we hear the dangers of parallel operating a motor vehicle. Apparently, a 28-year-old woman in the city of Mary Esther, oh, sorry, the city of Mary Esther in Florida, was cited for reckless driving and property damage when she reportedly decided to close her eyes and pray while she was driving eastbound on Marcia Drive. The unnamed woman failed to stop at a stop sign, went through an intersection into the yard of home on <laughs> Miramar Drive, where she crashed into someone's home. She then tried to back out and got stuck in the sand. Now, my question is, guys, do you feel that religious people should have to pay extra insurance? Maybe, maybe just the literalists, eh? <laughs> uh, well, as many driving tests as I've taken, I don't think I've ever seen the question, at what point do you allow prayer to take over? <laughs> you know, and then have multiple choice. It just, I, I you know, I doubt. I may have missed it. That's when you were taking your, your driver's license for a big rig, right? Right. That's right. Nancy's <laughs> just driven everything under the sun. Yeah. What were you going to say, Brian? <laughs> oh, I mean, you can you can pray with your eyes open, just like you can have a conversation with the passenger, you know, and sitting next to you with your eyes open and, you know, still have your hands on the wheel and pay attention. You That's know, I mean, I... <laughs> just don't let go, eh? 
<laughs> yeah, don't let go of the wheel. Don't close your eyes and bow your head. You know, if you need to, if if, if that's how you pray, you know, find a gas station before you pray. You know. Yeah. No, I think you're right. I think closing your eyes is definitely the operative <laughs> sentence there. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Well, you know, I think it's interesting because the insurance companies are always looking for a way to make a new buck off people. So why not start charging religious people extra? Well, and that kind of fits with not taking things too literally, eh? Yeah. Mm. Called a guardian angel insurance. To make sure you don't crash. Oh. <laughs> All right. So today we are talking about GMOs. Okay. So that'll be fun. All right, Brian. Me and you, buddy. And Tyler's going to be in your corner, so you guys are <laughs> going to kick my ass. Nancy, you going to try to give me a hand or something? No, I'm taking a break and She's listening. Gonna to <laughs> That's going to be awful. This is my this is my learn listen and learn part of the show. <laughs> okay, I, I for for this segment I did not do any research whatsoever, and I did that on purpose because one I'm lazy, and two because I wanted to play the part of somebody the average Joe, the average Joe that just hears the buzz line out there. So I could see I could I'll try to counter whatever Brian has to say, or what's more likely Brian's going to counter whatever I have to say, and see where that leads us. You good with that, Brian? Fair enough. Excellent. I just have uh, one thing that I've spoken to Brian about this in many, many different, you know, talks and Facebook and stuff. And one of the things that stuck with me that, Brian, that you said was that it's an empty syringe. I was hoping maybe you could uh, start with that. Empty syringe? Uh, yeah, were, were you addressing that? When you, you say start with that, you're addressing that to me or to uh, Kevin? No, to you, because that was one thing that you said, and I used that over and over and over again, because I've never really thought of it myself, and now it, it makes perfect sense. So and I find that I've actually been kind of getting through to people. It's this you public misunderstanding of science. You want to you give yeah. us a couple of uh, a little context here? What do you mean by empty syringe? Yeah, that's what I'm asking. Yeah, about. sure. Um well, that's, I, I can't actually take credit for the expression. It's an analogy I, I heard from someone else. I, I can't even, you know, so I'll just say it's a, you know, an, an unknown benefactor that I don't recall the name of. Uh, but anyway, it's, I, I use it because it's a pretty, you know, it's a pretty fair analogy that, uh, you know, genetic modification is a breeding technique. You know, the, the conventional way of breeding is you take, you know, 20,000 genes from one organism and combine it with 20,000 genes of another organism of the same species and, you know, you're mixing and matching entire genomes. And you don't exactly know exact, you know, perfectly well what, ex- what you're producing, but uh, it's, it's something that, you know, people have refined over thousands of years of, of selective breeding. Uh, but what, you know, modern biomedical technology has allowed us to do, or sh- I should say biotechnology, not biomedical, but what, what, you know, modern technology has allowed us to do is take just one gene or a, or a you know, a promoter for one gene and move it over to, a different organism, and that allows us number one to cross the species boundary, and number two uh, to do this, uh, you know, take what used to be conventional breeding and just do it in a much more, you know, pinpointed, um, much more precise way, where we can really more accurately predict what the outcome is going to be. Yeah. So we've been genetically modifying things for you know twelve, starting twelve thousand years ago, right? Well, hold on a second. Technically, sec. hold on a sec. When you say genetically modified, I think most people that are anti-GMOs, which I'm doing the role of that today, are not talking about hybridization here, right? Of course, we've been genetically modified, the one that, that the better to have a better yield of crop and all like that. But I think there's a huge difference between hybridization that's done on the farm and what's done in a lab, by especially by switching uh, the, the species barrier, right? Uh, by crossing that barrier. Oh, right, of course. I mean, 
it's it you know it is it is a, uh, a technique that we haven't had the resources and the technology to do for you know you know all of history until until just the last few decades. But the uh, the, the principle though is that it's it uh, like like I said it's you know you're taking one gene or one promoter and moving it over to another organism. So you're you're still following the the pattern of hybridization but just in a much more narrowed way more controlled and right wouldn't that be exactly yeah. yeah and so i mean when i use the the expression it's an empty syringe you know it's the it's the technique that i'm referring to or i'm referring to the fact that it's a technique and it's not you know when you see this uh package that says you know this was produced with uh, genetic modification all, all that tells you is a technique that was done. It doesn't give you any information about what's in the food or the nutritional content or the food safety content of what you're eating. Yeah, so like you could be saying the syringe isn't the bad thing. I mean, if you're injecting vitamins, that's good. If you're injecting heroin, that's bad, right? Does that make right. sense? That's a, a good way to, to uh, a good extrapolation of the analogy, I would say. So it just sounds, Kevin, to address you here, it sounds kind of like people use the naturalistic fallacy, you know, that it's okay if they're doing you know breeding with animals or breeding with plants because it's more natural but once you move it into the lab which we tend to call genetic engineering i've, I've seen different uh websites and stuff kind of differentiate between genetic modification and genetic engineering engineering tends to be more like transgenic actually in the lab so is that your position kevin is no no not at all the, the concern i have here is uh, as a anti-gmo uh, <laughs> guy is the the you, I, I, the, the, the concern is when, when, if you do in hybridization and you do, and you mix in a corn with a different type of corn to end up with a better corn, that's fine. When you mix in a corn with fish genes, that's a bit of a problem because we, we have nothing in nature like that that's been demonstrated to happen. We have no base to rely on, we have no uh, blueprint to guide us. But if you test it and there's no negative effects, that's still the naturalistic fallacy, right? There's no right? long-term test on something like that. How do you know? Right. Well, I don't know about those specifically, but every, I've seen there's thousands of tests and, and as well as, you know, feeding animals these GMOs. And, and thus far, there's been no issues. There's been claims, unsupported claims, that they're causing all kind of tumors and health problems but they have all pretty much been debunked the flavorful tomato which was the first organism released on the market brian i'm pretty sure you could collaborate that there was a lot of uh, it actually went to court because there was a lot of allergic reactions to that tomato if i remember correctly well oh, i'm not familiar yeah. exactly with the history of the flavorful tomato so i'm gonna have to defer to you okay. know I'll, I'll, I'll take your word for it with what you describe i i would have to question though the uh you know the, the the causation of the allergies. I mean, there are so many other factors that could be you know contributing to it, including you know, um, I don't know the use of uh, you know which which herbicides were you know on the tomato or or you know what part of the country it was grown in. Is there you know uh, are, you know other there, you know there are demographic factors that contribute to uh, you know allergenicity, for example. I mean, one you know people. I'm kind of deviating with your specific example, but in general, on the issue of allergenicity, you know, we we live in a much more you know sterile environment than we did in generations past, and uh, you know more indoor lives, and that causes people's immune systems to develop with uh, a, a much lower degree of, of uh, conditioning against potential allergens. So, I mean, there there are uh, you know lifestyle. Um, differences between this generation and you know three or four generations ago that are strongly impacting um, 
you know, what people are allergic to, and it just happens to correlate without being a causative link to the development of uh, um, GMO technology. Aren't you by doing by saying that essentially kind of giving credence to the people that would say that maybe we haven't had enough time to evolve the stomach flora and fauna to uh, digest genetically modified organisms? I mean, this uh, well, is a, well, again, a fairly the, the short turnaround to do something like that on the bio, on the evolutionary scale, anyway, right? Well, again, it depends. Like I said, I have to go back to the to the uh, empty syringe analogy because it depends on which modification was being done. You know that, uh, you know that, you, you know you can't just you know blanket state that you know, you know shouldn't we give it more time to evolve before we can, you know, eat GMOs? You know, well, it depends on the GMO. It depends on what was. You know what? What exact genetic modification was done? You know that's well, going to determine. And it assumes that your body can actually tell whether you know it's a protein from genetic engineering or if it's simply from you know selective breeding and and that sort of thing. I mean, we did the milk thing pretty early on, and I mean we adapted, right? Yeah. We right, weren't yeah. like, well, let's wait until well, we evolve and then we'll drink milk. Well, no, we on. had to drink milk and then kind of evolve with it, right? Well, I'm not so sure because even even today, most of the world is actually uh, lactose intolerant. I mean, it's, as adults, yeah, as adults, uh, it's, it's usually Caucasians and European descent are much more tolerant to milk. Uh, Africans and Asians and all that are not very good with it. I'm told. Oh yeah, sure. And and you know, I'll, I'll say this: there's. Uh, there's an implication, I think, a lot of times in disagreements over GMO that people who advocate for the use of GMO are arguing against regulation or arguing against uh, safety testing, and that's not actually the case at all. There's, uh, there, there's, there's a strong precedence that I would, you know, very, very much support uh, continues of, uh, you know, academic scientists that are not just paid off by the food industry taking GMOs and, and uh, testing them in animal models and looking for potential problems, and when an allergenetic excuse me, when an allergenic uh, detrimental effect arises that's, uh, you know, it linked back to a uh, GMO product, you know, when, when, when the actual specific genetic modification in question, you know, was implicated in, in uh, some sort of an allergenic reaction, allergic reaction, excuse me, then uh, that, that is something that gets, tends to get published in the, in the literature. I can give you a couple examples. There's a paper by Prescott and colleagues in a 2005 copy of the Journal of Agricultural Food Chemistry. And there's another one by uh, Nordley uh, and colleagues in the uh, New England Journal of Medicine back in uh, 1996, the first year that uh, GMOs became uh, really on a large scale. I believe it's around that time, uh, about 20 years ago now, that GMOs became on a large scale uh, used in uh, American agriculture. In both of these cases, it was found that you know this particular genetically modified product uh, you know, was found to have in uh, what, what to elicit an allergic reaction, and uh, and you know, thanks to that uh, process of safety testing, these particular products were never released to the food market, and that's how the uh, you know the regulation and the testing you know should go. And if it you know if it is indeed found that a particular example of a GMO product you know has a higher allergic reaction, then that should be what's on the uh, the safety label. You know this. Package of soybeans warning contains uh, may contain peanut protein or you know something like that. You know that w I would f for sure get behind and, and uh, you know support that level of testing. But just you know saying this is a GMO product paints with such a broad brush. You know it doesn't really give you any information that's uh, that's useful. Yeah, but about, Brian, uh, Brian you food. know as well as I do that in 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 this era of government cuts and everything, most most testing is actually not. Regulated by government is actually done by the industry itself. Don't you, don't you think they have a bit of an inner bias to say, "Of course, our products are safe"? 
Uh, well, I mean, you can you, you can go on to NCBI, and, and you know, there's you know thousands, just you know, plenty plenty of publications to keep you busy for the rest of your life on GMO foods, and and uh, you know, there's there's certainly there are some industry funded studies. There's quite a lot of them actually, but there's a lot of academic funded studies that are you know retain their um, funding through grants. Yeah, and in, in any case, you know, a team of academic scientists are not bound by uh, their funding source. You know, it's the funding source doesn't really uh, play any any role in the design or the outcome of experiments. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, you can question. Okay, these are industry-funded scientists that are you know on the payroll of Monsanto or whatever, and 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 you know dismiss it that way. But you know, you 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 really shouldn't dismiss the uh, the data that they present if in fact it is good evidence. You know, it doesn't really matter where the money comes from if they present good ev evidence and it's open source. Um, you know, publishing. Yeah, I had this debate with somebody yesterday, and they basically said, oh, all those thousands of studies for GMOs are industry-funded, and I actually posted a really good link that shows it's not. They had a whole bunch of non-profits and NGOs and sort of thing that corroborated it, right? And they had absolutely no stake in it. They weren't selling any of this stuff. They were just simply independent research teams, so it's not all industry-funded. But I was wondering what the date was on that tomato thing, Kevin. The date? You yeah. mean when it came out? No, like yeah, this the whole allergy thing with oh, the tomato geez. thing. Oh, the the the, the, the uh, flavorful tomato yes. was apparently the first one to ever hit the market. So I think we're I think we're talking somewhere in the eighties, probably seventies, maybe, maybe even. even that. Well, so and, and far back. The problem with that argument is that I've noticed a lot of people who are anti-GMO but they support vaccines is they don't realize that you run into the same thing. Right. There's been vaccines that, you know, people have allergic reactions to yeah. or they cause a problem. I had this debate with an anti-vaxxer the other day and he posted a link from NCBI that said they were using these vaccines and it was causing these problems. And then they pulled it off the shelf. And I said, there you go. Science works. And he was like, huh? I was like, you just proved that. What? <laughs> you know what I mean? Just. Okay, I, th I, th I think I think we're. So we're I think it applies to kind of both, right? I, I think we're we're dwelling into. Um, I want to deal into that too, but I think we want to dwell into. Let's let's stick with the GMO thing first, because your 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 comment there refers to uh, the source and the money behind all this, right? When it comes to vaccine, for example, when you ha when you have private enterprise, the best example I can give is look at the Ebola scare we just had in the states. They couldn't find a vaccine because they never had industry behind it because they never found it profitable. They actually had to come to Canada to get the vaccine from a government lab right and i think i think you, you you're getting into that argument there no no my my point was that whether it be gmos or vaccines wh whatever it is you might find some people that have a reaction or there might be you know a bad in invention and it gets pulled off the shelf or something like that so i wouldn't say that it's an argument against vaccines as a whole or it's an argument against you know gmos as a whole kind of thing does that make sense brian uh, yeah, that makes sense. Okay, um, I, I'm just saying that from the the common man, the, the common anti-GMO person, uh, I, I think I think people are not seeing enough regulation, especially when it's industry-led, and not enough testing, and that's what they're concerned about. Yeah, because I guess it's because people think Monsanto creates these things, and then Monsanto does the testing, and then Monsanto says it's all good here, eat it. That's right. Which is why I think if people would look, then they would see that it's it's being tested and researched by people who don't, you know, sell this stuff. Does that make sense? Like, there's so many just myths out there that need to be kind of debunked about it. Uh, I would totally yeah, agree with that. Uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I would totally agree with that. 
No, go go ahead, Brian. Yeah, uh, just on kind of on what you were going, you know, you know, going on about there for just a moment. Um, if I could just add that, uh, I, I believe Kevin, you, a moment ago, you meant, made the comment that uh, a lot of people are concerned because they're not seeing enough um, enough regulation and and uh, you know independent third party you know testing of the safety and and nutritional value of GMO foods. Am I summarizing your your yeah, well, let, 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 me put, let, let me put it this way. From from my point of view, okay, you have uh, you have an industry. Uh, let's take let's take the big evil one, the Monsanto one, that everybody hates, right? You you have an industry that used to do chemical weapons, and then this industry starts devolving into uh, pesticides and now and now uh, GMO foods. I'm sorry, uh, I have to stop you there. Chemical weapons? Can you? Um, yeah, in the, in, the, in the past, apparently Monsanto used to dwell into uh, into uh, the the created uh, Agent Orange and stuff like that. Yeah, well, I mean, they they were never uh, now. You know, if one of your listeners out there has a stronger background in in the history of Monsanto, then you know, I encourage them to uh, you know to either you know email you guys or, or um, you know uh, I believe you have a Facebook group. You know, to basically you know make you know voice their their uh, criticism there, but. My my understanding is that Monsanto was never in the uh, chemical weapons business. They, you're you're right. They did create Agent Orange. That was an herbicide, though, and it was used as a uh, as a um, a jungle defoliator, so okay. to speak. I don't know if that's the right word, but uh, you know, it, they, I mean, of they course, it was a tragic, they, they unfortunate you know, outcome of that. That it that it did end up causing you know a lot of health problems over in Vietnam, and that's you know completely horrible. But they they were never. Uh, in the business of developing, you know, chemical weapons. Okay, cool, Ex- excellent. Then, uh, then I'll retract that statement. But uh, let me get back to that point there. Uh, so, so we have a, a manufacturer of pesticides that gets into the uh, the modifying food business, and we know full well that they have a lot of lobbyists, and they're self-regulating themselves. And if it's a corporation that is out there for the bottom line, how can you not have people a bit skittish about all this? Right, yeah. Um, to the to the to the way you put it a couple of minutes ago about people are concerned that they're not seeing enough government regulation and, and oversight. I, you know, my first question is, you know, how how hard are they looking? You know, I, it's you know, it, it's um, something where there's a lot of open source information that that's out there, and and you know, the facts are available when you when you pick up a peer reviewed publication, you know, by a team of scientists. In you know some reputable mainstream journal, generally when you go to the end of the publication right before the uh, you know the list of uh, referenced citations, you can see a, a, about a paragraph or so that addresses their uh, acknowledgments, including funding sources. You know that's that's open source information, and so you can you know find papers and that are uh, funded by other sources other than you know the food industry. You know, I just you know, if I can offer one real quick example, a couple of scientists from Germany performed a meta-analysis on the impacts of GM crops, and it was published in an open access journal, meaning that there's no paywall to go read their articles. Uh, the journal is called PLOS One, P-L-O-S One, and it was funded by the uh, German government and the European Union, which are, as you might know, uh, they're known for being a bit less receptive to GMOs than America. And uh, in any case, they analyzed, you know, more than 100 studies pertaining to the use of uh, genetically modified crops. And uh, they concluded that the evidence shows them to be uh, beneficial. In this case, they were looking at uh, benefit on uh, on economic level, you know, beneficial to the farmers. Like increasing methods, yields and stuff? 
Exactly, right. yeah. And their, their methods, including statistical analysis, and, and their, their results are all open access. And the citation, if you want to look it up further, is uh, uh, Klimper, K-L-U, with, you know, the, the umlaut, uh, M-P-E-R, and uh, I believe it's pronounced Kane, Q-A-I-M, Journal is PLOS One, the year is uh, 2014 on that publication. And they also cite various uh, other, I mean, they're looking at benefit to farmers, but they also cite a number of other references in that article uh, to, you know, you know they, they, they cite references to scientific agencies and regulatory bodies and other studies concluding that uh, consumption of GM foods are also safe for humans and, uh, and their production is uh, safe for the environment. You know? well, so, and, and sometimes better than nature. Like, no, you can continue. I'm just saying that it is, you know, not, no more dangerous than the natural food, but then we have things like golden rice, which is better than natural food. Okay, hey, sp- speak right? of, speaking of golden rice. Now, well, uh, were you done, Brian? Oh, yeah, no. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, sorry. Yeah, spe- speaking of golden rice, I'm, I'm going to put my uh, my uh, devil's advocate hat back on there because uh, it's... Now, now if you if you get golden rice and you're trying to add vitamin A to rice and you're trying to give that to poor regions of the world, which is essentially what they're trying to do, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, well, wouldn't, it be, wouldn't yeah. it be just simpler to just give him vitamin A? Why do we have to go through the process of modifying an organism to do that? It's cheaper. It's che- it's actually cheaper than just yeah. distributing vitamin A. Yeah, it's cheaper to actually put it in. And obviously, it also they get you know fiber and whatever else from the rice. But yeah, yeah of it's course, che- it's cheaper to do it that way. Yeah, well, I mean, how do you how, how do you purify you know vitamin A and and you know distill it down into a pill that you can you know market at a at a supplement store? Yeah. I mean, it's yeah, they can't grow vitamin A pills. And then keep growing it and keep no, growing. No, but there's already an industry producing that, right? Wouldn't it be just simpler to just distribute vitamin A to the It'd population? be way more expensive because you just have, have you to ever keep throwing it at them. Sorry, Brian. Yeah, like a bottle a bottle of uh, vitamin A is, you know, you could probably get, you know, a 20 pound, you know, bag of rice for about the same amount, I would imagine. I mean, I, I, I'm kind of uh, speaking to my. Uh, you know, very limited understanding here at this point. So, you know, I'm not. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm really. Uh, I was told uh, that vitamin A is actually, it's not, it's not like vitamin C or vitamin B. It's not one of the major vitamins we need. It's, it's a necessity, but a small amount, actually. Yeah, but then if you don't have it, you go blind and die. Yeah, yeah. No, but <laughs> I just wanted to comment on what Brian was saying before, is that looking for this information, I looked for it because I debate, right? Like, that's why I looked for it. It was kind of hard to find. But I did find some other funny stuff in the meantime, which I realized that people prefer these stories, and they were journalism stories. I mean, Brian's talking about scientific journals, and, and that bores the crap out of most people. But then I found these other, you know, stories that were, like, you know, way more interesting because people are conspiracy theorists, and they said Monsanto's creating these Terminator seeds, and it's making people from India commit suicide. And then you actually look at the real data of it, and suicides were actually going down. Yeah, there was a high suicide rate, but it had absolutely nothing to do with Terminator seeds. And the whole Terminator seed thing is a myth. They yeah, haven't have to, com- they haven't commercialized, right? Yeah, I have to fall back on Hitchens' razor there. That which can be asserted without evidence can be dismissed without evidence. Good one. Well, yeah. And they pledged, they actually pledged to not use them. So if they do use them, then obviously they can prove you pledge not to use them and then they can be sued, right? Yeah, well, yeah, but if you, <laughs> even if they're sued, I think if you unleash something like a Terminator seed out there and it starts breeding in nature. No, 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 that's the point. That's what a Terminator seed is. The offspring is sterile. 
So basically, it forces the farmers to buy seeds every single year. Yes. So, but yeah. there, there are there do, do seem to be some benefits to it because I was having a discussion with some people the other day who were actual scientists, and they were saying GMOs might decrease biodiversity. Right. So that was kind of one of the solutions was to have these seeds be sterile because if you have a whole bunch of you know basically clones, then they take over. Right. And they and then they end up not having enough biodiversity and then you know a pest comes that they're a pathogen that they can't deal with and then they all get wiped out and then you have a famine like they had in the 1800s of, in ireland right mm -hmm. so th there's just so many myths out there there's actually a really good um site for on npr it's uh five gmo seed myths busted and it kind of talks about a lot of the stuff and i've read it and i constantly see these arguments every single time i have a gmo debate the same shit like monsanto suing people for their seeds blowing into the neighbor's yard or terminator seeds and all this stuff that has been debunked a long time ago but those are the interesting stories right brian as opposed oh, to scientific journals yeah for sure if, if if i can give a quick plug actually real quick um i would really recommend that anyone interested in the uh you know the public debate over whether or not GMOs are safe and whether or not the implementation of them in, in uh, food agriculture is a good idea, go to the Genetic Literacy Project website. It's geneticliteracyproject.org, one word. And, I mean, there's, there's just a wealth of uh, more journalism-style writing. It's not, you know, the really dry, you know, peer-reviewed, you know, academic publications, but they cite the academic work. And, uh, you know, there's, there's one example that is a response to another article uh, published uh, back in, uh, was actually quite a few years, a couple of years ago now, uh, uh, 10, 10 studies proving GMOs are harmful. And that was, uh, shoot, you know, I believe it was published on, uh, sorry, give me one second here. It was published by Collective Evolution. I don't oh, know if you're familiar yeah, with that. Um, yeah. <laughs> if okay. anybody wants to know about Collective Evolution, look them up on Rational Wiki, and then you'll laugh your ass off. Keep going. <laughs> okay. <laughs> nice. I like the sound bite there. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so yeah, so Collective Evolution published a study, or not, I shouldn't say a study. They published yeah, an right. article uh, back in April of 2014. So yeah, it was a couple of years ago now. Uh, Ten scientific studies proving GMOs can be harmful to human health. The Genetic Literacy Project published ten scientific, ten studies proving GMOs are harmful? Question mark. Not if science matters. And I would really recommend people read uh, both of those articles. And then, um, and then, if if need be, you know, if their mind still isn't made up, then click on all the uh, all the hyperlinks that are cited in the uh, Genetic Literacy Project article and follow up on all the academic papers that they cite and. Um, you know, that's really just a long-winded way of, of uh, telling people I would really encourage you to force yourself to be really well-informed before uh, uh, before taking an ideological stance one way or another on GMOs. Yeah, I found that website, uh, Genetic Literature, uh, okay, I can't talk. I found that website to be very helpful. That's where I read a lot of stuff, and I obviously cross-referenced it. I found some really good articles, pretty much the same articles on, on Forbes and whatnot. There's one that's called... Uh, 2,000 studies that show GMOs are safe. There's another one that's uh, 
The debate about GMOs is finally over. I found that on Forbes. I also found it on the Cornell University website. And it just well, studies many, and studies many, and studies. How many studies, studies do, you, do you read? These are thousands. Yeah, <laughs> these are thousands. I mean, when you're reading, like Brian said, meta-analyses, it's one study of hundreds or thousands of studies, right? So There's a yeah. new category now on the net. Instead of Wikipedia, it's Tylerpedia. Yeah. <laughs> everybody to go. It's all there. <laughs> it's understandable. Thanks. It's fun to read. <laughs> and I stole all of it from Brian. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, Brian, uh, you know... All, quite honestly, between you and me, well, because on the whole GMO thing, uh, quite honestly, I'm on the fence. Uh, because I, I understand the science is good. I get that. I get that the science is good. I, it's, I think like a lot of people that are anti-GMO, what, what I think these people are uh, concerned about is the motivation behind it. Right. I mean, we were just talking about a few minutes ago about the Terminator gene, right? Why, why would you even go and create such a thing? Right. What and then then say no, we're not going to release it. I mean, really. I mean, you you talk about you talk about companies, which let's face it, corporations as a whole don't have a very good track record of keeping their word. Well, the reason is okay, so that they can't sell oh, seeds. No. Sorry, the reason is so they can't sell, you know, a batch of seeds to far to a farmer, and then the farmer never has to come back because he can just they're naturally replicating, right? Mm. Well, I mean, if I, <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's a, a fair point also. But on top of that, though, if a you know a company like Monsanto were you know producing uh, genetically modified seeds that started to proliferate in the wild, then the GMO uh, naysayer crowd would you know cry foul as, as you know as as they should. It's a legitimate uh, criticism to make that oh Monsanto is ruining you know the uh, you know the ecosystem by producing these. Uh, you know, seeds for farmers that are proliferating in the wild. And the uh, but then if they produce these yeah. seeds that are terminator seeds that don't proliferate in the wild, now the criticism is, well, what's their <laughs> financial motive? It's like they're damned if they do, damned if yes, they don't. Yes, absolutely. I mean? And I support the terminator seed thing be specifically because it really could screw up biodiversity. They take, like, I don't know if you guys know anything about the famine in Ireland in the 1800s, but that's basically what happened. Like, they were using clones, right, which is basically the same thing. And these clones took over, and because they're clones, they're all susceptible to the same thing, right? So one thing gets infected, they all died, and then obviously people had a famine. So yeah, well, I support the Terminator, or... but you give a name like the Terminator, that just sounds evil as shit, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, but aren't you, Tyler, aren't you putting, if you put this technology in the hand of farmers, aren't you kind of putting the farmers in the hand of the company? Well, they you don't have a choice at that point. You should know me. I am... I'm a very left-wing democratic socialist, I guess you might label me. I'm very pro-regulation. I'm not a big fan of profit. from. I would probably take it out of the private sector, if it were me. Yes, I would agree. What do you, what do you think about that, Brian? I think that's what people are That's what of. Kevin's worried about, is that it's going to be abused by big business, basically. It's like having health care in the United States yes. in the private sector, they screw people over so they can make a bunch of money, that kind of thing. If, we don't have that here in Canada. If, so, If the concern is a giant you know, corporation making billions of dollars while screwing people over, I mean, if that's the concern, and, and you know, okay, that's a legitimate concern we can talk about, but I mean, if that's the concern, then why are we singling out GMOs? Because, I mean, Whole Foods is a multi-billion dollar corporation. Why aren't people you know, going after Big Organic? Because genetic engineering sounds like food that's going to create the X-Men. 
<laughs> Wouldn't that be more reason to want to eat? I know. Food? I'm like, sweet. Yeah, absolutely. I'd be like Cyclops. So, I mean, so, I'm already so, blind. So if you're eating organic, you don't have any superpowers? Denied. <laughs> it just sounds scary. The Terminator <laughs> gene, genetically engineered, like this mad scientist that's, you know, got this weird glowing fish and slicing it with your breakfast cereal, and the next thing no, you know, no, you're no. fucking walking around glowing. Uh, that's al- what people think, I think. Let's but. also admit. That we don't have a whole lot of long-term studies for genetically modified food, right? It's a recent. We have thing. it since the seventies. That's a pretty long time. That's that's uh, less. Than, uh, well, that's the generation the, tops. Pardon sorry. me, Brian. Oh, well, I was going to say I don't know about the seventies. I believe GMOs became really mainstream in, in the nineties. In the mid nineties, yeah. yeah, mid mid to late nineties. But at the same time, there is a a publication. You know, I can give you the, the reference for it if you want. It's in the uh, Journal of the Royal Society of Medicine. And that basically concluded that for, you know, for more than 15 years now, hundreds of millions of people across the world have consumed genetically modified foods with no reported ill effects or health-related legal cases. And then there was an additional 2013 publication in the journal Critical Reviews in Biotechnology that reviewed more than 1,700 scientific papers on genetically modified crops and food. And it also concluded that no plausible evidence exists for dangers of GMOs to uh, either animals or humans. Well, and I think you're right. I I understand Kevin's perspective is this could be abused and hurt people for money, but like you said, that applies to a lot of things, right? I I also think that you know you said for a hundred thousands of people, people have been eating GMOs. I think when the anti-GMO crowd thinks of GMOs, they don't think about hybridization. They really don't think, and they don't have a problem with that. But they do have a problem, especially, uh, and uh, that's a good question for you, uh, Brian, maybe you can answer this. Maybe the technology and the technique itself is, uh, because a lot of this technique is actually introducing a gene with the help of a virus half the time, is it not? Uh, There there are... Could it be some fear just because of that? I'm sorry? Could there be some fear because of that too? I mean, people misunderstanding that you're using essentially a virus to introduce a gene into another cell. Right, I, I think I think that right there, that kind of sounds like a scary thing too for most no, people. The word virus, yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. The word, right. the word virus, yeah, makes it scary. But you know, but I mean, there's, it's like the word bacteria. There is good bacteria, right? Yeah, and you know, people are not. Why is you know, this, me this is not to say that people are releasing live viruses yeah. into you know genetically modified you know seed. It's <laughs> that 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 would be a huge misconception. I mean, you know, scientists are you know, you know, they they. <laughs> they know not to take a, a virus and leave it alone, and then just add one more gene and say, "Okay, it's good to go." You know, it's it, <laughs> you can eat this now. Yeah, yeah. There, there, there is a you know. Okay, so the, the the people who are against or have you know concerns about you know GMO foods being on the market want the GMO foods and the production thereof to be tightly regulated and to be tested for safety. And I completely agree with that, one hundred percent. But I would go a step further and say that that is already being done. And when something is found to not be safe, it is not released to the food market. So, so now this is where you and I disagree because I don't think it's actually being done because most of the testing is actually done by the industry itself. No, but okay, I'll show you the link. It's uh, not. Wait, wait, wait. wait. <laughs> Sorry. The, the most most basic science research is funded by academic institutions and federal research grants. There are, I, I completely agree, especially in in the case of GMO foods, uh, a quite a large number of industry funded, but there are, you know, when you see a meta-analysis like 1,700 scientific papers, you're talking about uh, a, a collection of papers, many of which are funded by the industry, many of which are funded by academia. 
And the, the point is to have independent studies from independent organizations that converge on the same conclusion. That's when you know, okay, yeah, there's really something to this. Yeah, exactly. So did you, I'm not sure if you saw my status today. I mean, I was being facetious, but I said maybe we should change the term genetically engineered or genetically modified organisms to scientifically improved organisms. And then, pe- <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I saw that. And then people will be happy about it. Well, that might be a better selling point. <laughs> Good point. Um, okay, uh, what else was I going with this? Uh, la, la, la. Yeah, you lose. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. <laughs> Easy. I'm putting up a good fight here. I've learned lots from Brian. I just like read some of Brian's. I probably copied and pasted so many of his comments into my notes file on my phone just so I can go back and read it. One of the really funny things is we were talking about uh, the mandatory, like the GMO labels on food. And Brian, you said something along the lines of, you know, if you actually told people what was in it, they wouldn't understand it anyways. Like, you go to the grocery store and you look at your food and it says, this expresses the protein B1324Q. What? So you, you're, say, you're saying that the people should not know what's actually going on? Okay, so... <laughs> no, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let, no, no, that's not... A, that's I not a, am. I am. Because people are not smart enough, and we've seen this happen in England already, where it becomes... People are adverse to it, so... The comments of Tyler, not necessarily those. <laughs> the sales went down from it. it. It actually made it more expensive. There's a really good Scientific American article. I think it was Shermer that wrote it. I'll have to double-check. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it or not, Brian, but it says... The the name of the link is uh, GMO labels are a bad idea, and it it shows that I mean they are better when it comes to water and all these different things, and and it scares the crap out of people for absolutely no reason. And even if you told them exactly what the genetic engineering process was, they wouldn't understand it anyways. That that's kind of what uh, your comment was that one day that I was pointing out, Brian. Yeah, but I mean, lest, lest anybody take this uh, out of context or draw the wrong conclusion, yeah. I'm not saying people should be left in the dark and that they shouldn't be well informed about what's in their food and the and the uh, safety of it. Like people, people. No, you're saying actually tell them they just won't understand uh, it. Well, no, I mean, not I mean, not even that. Like you could you could say, okay, yeah, let's let's come up with a GMO labeling campaign that is smart and makes sure people are well informed and. Under that case, you could you could you know very easily imagine some sort of a label that has like a scannable barcode, and this has been idea an idea that's been tossed around quite a lot actually in in the debate over GMO labeling. You know, suppose there's a label that has like a scannable um, a barcode that you know people can scan with their with their smartphone, and and there's an app that you know they can download that tells them you know okay this product was produced with this protein from this organism, and that would be a smart GMO label to have because it would actually give people about what's in their food mm-hmm. telling people that this was produced with genetic modification doesn't tell them what's in their food you know it's 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 not because i'm against people being well informed it's actually because i'm for people well being well informed that i don't think a label that says contains gmo is, is good okay, you would just you would just modify the label to make it sound a, a bit more friendly I, I would I would want the label to uh, inform people about what's in their food, and I don't think uh, contains GMO actually does that. Yeah, because you know Tyler, if I look at a pack of sausages right now and it says you know potassium benzoate and whatever, you're right. I don't understand necessarily what potassium benzoate does, but it doesn't really necessarily stop me from buying it. But if I see a package that says potassium benzoate and another one that doesn't, I might choose that package. 
So oh, if you don't know what it is, yeah, that's still kind of sad. I mean, Google that shit. Yeah, well, yeah, well, you're in the middle of the grocery stores, don't go don't start Googling potassium benzene. But everybody knows the what, you know, genetically engineered, that scares the crap out of it. Pens I've, I've done that. that oh, like, you know, when I'm shopping for cooking oil, it's like, okay, do I want the... Um, do I want canola oil or grapeseed oil? And I'll, I'll actually pull out my smartphone and spend, you know, 15 minutes in the grocery store reading about, uh, you know, which one has more uh, omega-3, omega-6 fatty acids and, and uh, you know, what's, you know, what, what are the, uh, you know, potential health consequences of eating, you know, food or, you know, consuming larger amounts of, of you know, omega-6 versus omega-3 mm-hmm. and, uh, you know that's that's you know that's a level of of being informed that I I think is really important for the public at large. I think everyone everyone deserves to know and should be well informed about the science of what's going on with with um, you know the food they eat and, and about the potential health ramifications. Uh, but I you know I I can't stop there because the that level of information is available and it's a matter of um, you know people you know. Uh, learning about it, you know. I mean, you know, people can say, "Well, we don't know what's in our food." Well, you know, you can you can learn that. You know, that's information that's out there and it's available. And um, when when a company produces GMO products and they don't, there, there's no oversight, there's no safety testing, there's no regulation. That's a concern. That's when I would you know jump on board with the uh, the GMO, uh, the anti you know GMO crowd and say, "Hey, wait a second. You know, you gotta you gotta have some level of transparency here. You gotta tell people what's in the food." Uh, but again, you know, just a label that says contains GMO doesn't doesn't do that. Well, and doesn't it make it more expensive for the companies that are selling it, which kind of makes it kind of unfair in a way? Because that's what they saw in England was, I mean, it scared people, but it was also more expensive for them. So, I mean, I'd like to see a study where they have, you know, rice for sale in the grocery store and one says enriched with vitamin A and the other one says you know, contains GMO. I mean, exactly the same rice, though, right? And then see what happens. I think people would be like, oh, enriched with vitamin A? That's awesome. That's good for me. Uh, genetically modified. I don't want to eat that. It'll turn me into a mutant. No, I or, think you're absolutely Or right. even something that, that, you know, best of both worlds. This product was genetically modified to contain enriched an enriched amount of vitamin A. Yeah, like, t- I, tells you what I, it I, does, like what the purpose of the GMO aspect is rather than just that it was GMO. I mean, there are reasons, right? Like I had a guy today say they're putting pesticides in plants. That's what GMOs are doing. I'm like, no, no, no. They create, I think it was they created a fungus or they turned on like a fungus gene or whatever, which made the pests stay away from the plant because the pest didn't like that fungus. Therefore, they didn't have to spray the shit out of it with pesticides, which can obviously cause problems. So the idea is that they'll be able to use less pesticides with GMOs as opposed to more, which is kind of funny because then organic food will have more pesticides. No, I think, I think your friend is referring here to BT corn. BT corn apparently has been genetically mo- uh, 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 modified with an insecticide. Like glyphosate or something? I don't know which glyphosate. Can, can you expand on that, Brian? Uh, you yeah, there's a BT corn. Uh, the, with the BT aspect, yeah. Yeah, the the cry one AB protein. Um, so I, so I so, so so give me give uh, tell me if I'm wrong here because there were, essentially what we're told in the general public is that uh, you, you're growing your corn and some insect and will actually try to start eating the corn and yeah. its stomach will explode. 
right? That's yeah, what we're told. Uh, but somehow yes. we're told that the stomach of the insect will explode, but somehow it's harmless to humans. And well, for that, yeah, for the you're, gen- you're like yeah. 10 billion times bigger than that little organism, well, I mean, right? You know, uh, the, I can come up with examples all day long of, of why just because it's dangerous to another animal doesn't mean it's dangerous to humans. I mean, you know, chocolate is poisonous to a dog. It's, it's okay for humans to eat. Well, uh, you know. yeah, but it's <laughs> we know that chocolate is not a necessarily health food either. But I think I think most people are saying, you know, look, if it's it's exploding an insect, uh, it, it, okay, fine, a small dose is harmless to me. But I prefer to have a food that has no dose than a small dose, right? And that's where well, they that go for their. That would depend on on the uh, the mechanism that's acting. You know, why is it exploding the uh, the stomach of an insect? You know, is it is it because it's you know interacting with some metabolic pathway in the insect that doesn't even exist in humans? It's quite possible. It, I mean, this is information no general public doesn't have. Well, but, yeah, that's the problem. Is the general public has some scientific understanding issues? I guess right. Right. And but they, but it's hard to refute that argument, like the person said. You know, well, because it's a simple argument. It blew up insect stomach, therefore could blow up my stomach. Well, yeah, but what about all this science? Yeah, but that's hard. Yeah, but it's, it's yeah, but that's like, like saying you know a little bit of mercury won't hurt you, but I'd rather not have any. You know, the that's same the same thing with vaccines because they list that's what they do. They list all those toxins, exactly. and they're like they're such small amounts they don't actually affect the human body. Exactly, and, and I think and most people are making that choice on that. Yes, yeah, so that's that's the thing, right there. There you go, right. We vaccines good, GMOs bad. Then you're contradicting yourself in that sense. Anyways, you were talking about the BT. Can you explain the BT thing, Brian? Oh well, it's um, there's I I I'm shoot man. I don't have a, a particular background in in BT corn. In fact, I actually you know I I have a background in biology. However, GMO technology is and and you know GMO foods is kind of a just a side interest. It's not what I have an actual academic background in. So that's okay. We're, you, we're, you like we're, we're kind of me stretching. Anyway. No, neither do we. Stretching so. the boundaries of my, of my background on this, but um, my my understanding of and you know you, listeners are you know free to correct me if uh, if I get something wrong here. But my understanding is that um, insects that eat the BT corn have a different uh, gut environment, specifically, a, and they're uh, they have an alkaline an alkaline gut as opposed to you know humans have have a high level of um, you know, very acidic yeah. uh, stomach, and so the toxin is not going to have the same biochemical effect in the gut of these insects as it's going to have in humans. So it, you know the the uh, the fact that you know oh if it's dangerous to this animal it's going to be dangerous to humans as well. It, you know there's so many factors about the 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 biochemistry of different animals and their guts that, you know, doesn't necessarily uh, allow for it to apply across the board like that. Well, yeah, and if GMOs... <laughs> if, if GMOs can make it so that we can use less herbicides, pesticides, you know, that sort of thing, that's awesome, right? Yeah, exactly. And that's, uh, that's what they're concerned about, is that, that, which is why I find it kind of funny, is that they're all, you know, health, health, health. But we can make it healthier by using GEF or GMO, and I don't know what the hell to call it. But you get my point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's what they're freaking out about. It's the really, really, you know, simple answers. It's kind of the same thing with the God thing. I mean, I could study evolution and cosmology and chemistry and all this, stuff, or I could just say, "Fuck it, God did it." It's kind of the same. <laughs> people, people take the easy way out, don't they? Yeah, that's true. Like, that's, that's one of the things that, when we talked about you coming on the show, uh, Brian, you said there was one thing that you wanted to talk about, which was, um, 
I think you said public misunderstandings of science. Was that it? Uh, yeah, yeah. That's, that's that was one of the things that you were kind of kind of passionate about, and from what I understand, and that's what I think all of these topics come down to, whether it's God or whether it's GMOs or whether it's vaccines or whatever. People take the simple route, and it usually tends to be wrong. Vaccines have chemicals. Chemicals sound scary. Therefore, vaccines scary. Make sense? Uh, that is absolutely a, I think, a fair, a fair way to summarize it. Yeah, my, my, my passion is for the public appreciation and understanding of science. You know, I'm, I'm, <laughs> my, my hope is to, um, is to always be involved in, with that throughout my, you know, career. I mean, I still want to go into a, a research um, a career trajectory and continue to do, re you know, research in the lab, but also, you know, promote science to uh, to the general public and so I continue to to write and advocate and I have you know I, I, I'm taking a, a, about a one-year hiatus right now because I'm kind of in the middle of grad school right now and I uh, there's a lot of other projects I need to focus on so I haven't come out with any new YouTube videos but but yeah absolutely you're you're completely correct is that my my passion is for the promotion of science to the public wasn't well, that why creationism is appealing because it's like okay I could either study like billions of years of history from single-celled organisms to, you know, multicellulars to the first animals, on and on and on. And we're talking hours and hours and hours, if not years of study. Or you, could or, or you could just say, fuck it, God went poof, and there everything was. We talk about GMOs, Simple you answer. just went to creationism. Well, because, <laughs> the the because, the because people take the easy-to-understand thing, and like Richard Dawkins says, science is hard. <laughs> right? It is hard. Like, I, and I'm not even a scientist. Just trying to understand the layman shit that I read on on the internet is hard for me. And the creationists are even lazier. And the anti-vaxxers are just as lazy, if, if that makes sense. You know, they read a headline that says this is bad. You know, vaccines cause autism. Okay, but then you really look at the hard science of it. And it's complicated because, I mean... Brian would understand better than I do because molecular biology hurts my head like you wouldn't believe. <laughs> For sure, head, I don't have a chance. But you can take the easy route or you can learn the actual science and science is hard. Excellent. Well, let's finish on that because we're on top of the hour here. Brian, thank you so much for your help, my friend. I appreciate that. Uh, but the mic is all yours. Go ahead and plug yourself. Is there uh, anybody that can want to get a hold of you or want to read what you've done? Where can they go? Any last words? Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, real quick, actually, uh, just if I, if I can for a moment. Of course. On the, uh, on the subject of you know, going back to the BT thing. Four ninety nine dollars minutes, adults only. <laughs> I, I can, you know... Offer one one other example. Uh, you know, saccharin, this artificial sweetener, was uh, the subject of a lot of controversy uh, several years ago because it was found to cause um, bladder tumors in rats. And people are thinking, you know, well, I don't want to get bladder cancer, so I'm going to go back to regular sugar. And you know, some of the differences are that you know, rats uh, have a higher pH and a higher protein content in their urine, which causes uh, saccharin to crystallize in a way that doesn't happen in the human bladder. And the crystallization of Saccharin can damage the uh, lining of the bladder wall, which um, promotes, uh, you know, inflammation and, and um, can also, uh, you know, further down the line lead to DNA damage and, and uh, the development of tumors. And it's just, you know, it's, it's one example where, you know, just because something's dangerous in one animal doesn't mean it's going to be dangerous in the humans because, you, you know, there's, 
there's a lot of biochemical differences across, um, you know, the, the species boundaries. But is it cheaper to produce saccharin than it is to produce sugar? Is it why, uh, would, why, they, why would they create the, this product to begin with? Well, artificial sweeteners are generally hundreds of times uh, sweeter than sugar. Like sucralose, is, I believe, is 600 times sweeter than, than uh, Just regular regular sucrose. And, and uh, uh, there's the other one, aspartame, is about 200 times sweeter. So you really are consuming hundreds of times more sugar to get the same effect. In fact, if you look on a package of Splenda or, or uh, right. Sweet and Low, you find that actually the number one ingredient is dextrose. That's just, you know, that's just glucose. That's uh, w one of the two uh, molecules, the other being fructose, that combine to form uh, sucrose, which is normal table sugar. So most, most of the content in an artificial sweetener package is actually sugar. And then there's a very, very small amount of the artificial sweetener, which gives it, you know, the uh, the bulk of its sweetness. Oh, so so you, you just gave a very detailed scientific explanation as to how it doesn't transfer from, you know, a mouse to a human. But all I heard was it gives mouse cancer, therefore must give me cancer. Hey, hey, I was playing devil's advocate. <laughs> All right, keep going. I, I, you debunked. We, you and I were talking about cancer and animal studies and that sort of thing in the Left at the Valley Facebook group, and I was defending the using the animals thing. And then Brian decided to swoop in there and use the mouse Splenda bladder example, and I was like, ah, fuck. <laughs> so I'll always remember that example. I was like, God damn it! He always does that. He always shows up when I'm winning a debate. <laughs> And then he says something, and then I just instantly fucking lose, and then I have to copy and paste his comment so I don't forget it later. I, I like Brian already. Prick. <laughs> Brian, where can people find you if they want to learn more about you? Uh, well, you can always email me at naturallegion at gmail.com. That's N-A-T-U-R-A-L-E-G-I-O-N. Uh, just a contraction of natural and legion. And the point of that is is um, it's kind of this little nickname I, I thought of when I was coming up with a name for my YouTube channel. And the YouTube channel is the same name, by the way. It's just go to YouTube and type in Natural Legion, one word, one L. Yeah, it's and, great. Uh, it's great. It's very, very good. The, I think I saw a couple of videos. Yeah, I only have a couple of videos so far because, like I said, I, I took a hiatus about a year ago. I haven't, I haven't put up a fourth video yet, but it's, it's slowly, it's growing, but slowly. And, and I'm going to, uh, ne next month, actually, uh, a little over a month from now, early September, I'm going to be taking what's called the qualifying exam, and that's that marks the end of the didactic portion of my PhD program. And at that point, I will um, be taking fewer coursework, and I'll have a little bit more time in addition to my my project for my thesis to be able to focus on um, on science education and and uh, you know public you know the public promotion of science. And one of the avenues of that is going to be to, uh, you know, really ramp up the uh, production of YouTube videos. And the point, the, the, the point of the YouTube uh, channel there is to not only promote science, but to kind of fill uh, a niche that I have, have found that really isn't getting filled anywhere else. I, I have a couple videos where I defend evolution, not that that isn't already happening in spades, but I try to take a new approach that you don't see a whole lot. And I talk about... Uh, molecular phylogenetics and how you can use um, genetic sequences to basically um, demonstrate beyond a reasonable doubt that different animals um, share a common ancestor. The phylogenetic, I, phylogenetic I tree video. thing? I'm sorry? The phylogenetic tree thing? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. okay. I'm just making sure that I understood. And then, uh, and then I have, you know, another video that's um, uh, basically a 14, 15 minute response to the uh, claims of carbon dating proving 
dinosaurs to be young. I mean, you, you guys might be familiar with uh, the work of Hugh Miller, who is a, uh, a creationist. I believe he's a creationist geologist, and he came out with this, uh, you know, a couple of online publications, and uh, the, the, the arguments that they make is that the combination of soft tissue from, you know, recovered from dinosaur fossils and the carbon dating of that tissue uh, provides scientific evidence that dinosaurs, you know, lived until only a few thousand years ago, or that they only died out a few thousand years ago. And uh, so I, I was really searching online for rebuttals to that, or uh, that's unfair, it makes it sound like I have a bias against it, but I was, I was searching for, you know, scientific um, evidence that, uh, you know, that can, that can address their claims and, and, you know, and see what, you know, what, what do the facts show compared to what they're claiming. And I was really having trouble finding that. And so I ended up just, you know, making my own, my own video on the topic where I really go kind of point by point and pick apart a lot of the, uh, a lot of the arguments they make. It's a 14, almost 15 minute video. People can watch it if they want. Yeah. The only and, one I saw was uh, Pothler 54. You probably saw his video. About oh yeah, yeah, I'm familiar. yeah. There's a few other people now that have done similar videos, but um, but yeah, it's just it, it it is kind of like a it's a one stop shop for people that want to uh, to find a you know reasonable um, critique of the creationist arguments that carbon dating proves dinosaurs to be young to be only a few thousand years old. Well, and you made it pretty easy. Like I've got to admit that uh, why do people laugh at creationists? Some of that shit hurt my head. <laughs> Like, there, yeah, there's a lot. It's complicated, it's even he, that. He's in his 40s, too. Like, n not his age. I mean, like, like the number of videos he's made in that. Uh... Yeah, it's good, but some of it is really hard to understand, so. Well, yeah. thank you so much, Brian, for all your time and everything. I appreciate that. And uh, can, you, can I ask you a quick favor before we let you go? Yeah, no problem. Can I have you say, hi, I'm Brian Gitzlog, and I took a left of the valley? Hi, I'm Brian Gitzlog, and I took a left of the valley. That's awesome. <laughs> thank you, Brian. Thank you so much. Yeah, no problem. Talk to you soon. All right, sounds good. And that was Brian Gitschlong. Nice guy. We'll have to keep an eye on him for sure. You're bringing some good guests here, I think. Don't you think? I don't think so. Well, tough of my right. So this is a letter to my American friends. I know, Nancy, you're not going to like this, but, you know, it is my right after all. So now the chips have fallen where they may, amongst a plethora of fraud accusations, lost ballots, um, media blackout, voting machine errors, reduction in poll station, gerrymandering, reliable exit polls off by margin never seen before, FBI accusations of indictment, paper trail demonstrating collusion and the manipulation of delegate count. <gasps> the Democrats have finally crowned their lame queen despite the obvious will of the people in putting their faith in Bernard Sanders. And the rest of the world looking upon this farce of an election is shaking their head in disbelief. The old adage that people get the politicians they deserve resonates strongly here. So now the leader of the strongest country in the world is to be chosen between a loudmouthed buffoon who claims, whose claim to fame include failed casinos, stakes, and bigotry not seen since Nazi Germany, or a corrupt politician so bland that paint, wa paint watches her dry. Congratulations to the bought-off Democrats. You just might have handed the White House to his hugeness. What were these people thinking? Now I know Americans hate being told what to do, 
but even a fleeting glimpse of the rest of the world would have pointed out that Sanders was the obvious choice for president. Every election, we tell ourselves we wish for politicians that don't just talk the talk. Sanders has over 30 years' record of doing just that. His opponents don't. Every election, we wish for a politician who understands the plight of the average Joe. Now we have a multi-millionaire facing a billionaire instead of a veteran senator with a regular house and salary. Every election, we wish for someone who represents the constituents. Now we have a proven bought-off politician facing off one who buys people off. Every election, we wish for a scandal-free, upstanding citizen. Now we have chosen two individuals rife with problems instead of the man who keeps his word. This election isn't about left versus right, or Democrats versus conservatives. It's about old way versus new, past versus future. And for now, it seems that despite the efforts of millions, the past, keep things like they are, crowd has won. And the millennials will be stuck with the bell. I understand their anger. I'm not even American and I'm angry at this. How can you have polls after polls showing a clear trend of Sanders winning over Trump? The same poll showing Hillary tied or losing. And even Trump admitting he'd rather face Hillary than Bernie. Fall on deaf ears. How can America ever be looked upon as the beacon of democracy with this farce of an election? How can the UN ever ask the US to verify the authenticity of questionable elections abroad with this joke? How can the rest of the world take America seriously after 2016? Bernie Sanders did something the US hasn't seen since before Reagan. He opened the eyes of the people, got them to participate in their politics, which is especially difficult with the young, got them to care and made American dreams again of a better world. Now Bernie has been replaced by a lame duck, scandal-ridden, and most importantly, totally uninspiring candidate. I'm not a betting man, but I think they've just handed the reins of power to the toupee of reality TV. You cannot win the presidency if you cannot inspire people. And Hillary's ace, which is the first woman president, although historical, isn't enough to inspire the legion of voters needed to beat the angry racism-filled side across the aisle. So, my American friends, I humbly suggest that you pull yourself together and really revolutionize the system. Time to change the paradigm. Because if the election goes as planned, blue versus red, there will not be any light at the end of the tunnel for quite some time. And history and your children will judge harshly those who don't act. Sincerely, a Canadian friend. Well, that takes us to the end of our show. I want to thank you, Tyler, and thank you, Nancy, for being with me here today. You guys, you know I can't do this show without you. Coming up soon, we should be doing a show on homosexuality. We got shows on housing coming up, shows on talking about the Great Flood. We also have a show on homo nelidi coming up, and also mythicism. That should be very interesting. And, of course, we're still working on Eli Bosnick and Russell Glasser, which we'll eventually will pin down for sure. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for joining us, Nancy, Tyler. Can't do this show without you. You can always follow us at leftofthevalue.com. You can check us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. Send me a message. What do you think about today's show? Do you think I actually got my ass handed over to me by uh, by uh, 
Tyler and his friend there, or do you think I should still my ground? Send me a message at leftatvalley at outlook.com. Guys, ladies and gentlemen, until next time, thank you. And the outcome is measurable It's literally like sitting on your ass Or taking a nap When somebody you love is fucked up And needs your help bad How can you justify the genocide and pain Caused by your cold There must be something missing in your brain I'm proud to be an atheist A skeptic, a non-believer An infidel, a heathen I call it how I see it I say it's ignorance And you just call it faith And unsubstantiated claims That's something to be ashamed I'm an Intelligent people can reach the conclusion that all non-believers are evil. What a fucked up statement. Do you realize what you're saying? But according to your book, this is how your God made me. Skeptical of anything that contradicts history, denies evolution, hates science, promotes mystery. I'd rather see the truth than to bask in my own ignorance. Rather be alone than surrounded by damn idiots. As long as there's a breath in my body, you can bet your last Culture, only true on a regional scale. Science is universal. Or you can say that Horus isn't real, but Jesus is. Or Zeus, Thor, Mithra, Vishnu, you don't believe in them. I think the reason is apparent. You do what you're told and believe in the God assigned by your parents. I'm proud to be an atheist, a skeptic, a non believer, an infidel, a heathen. I call it how I see it. I say it's ignorance, and you just call it faith and unsubstantiated claims. That's something to be ashamed. I'm an atheist. Something to be ashamed, I'm an atheist.